August 18, 2023. It's a Watt for Pedro show.
lot for Pedro Show. Happy Friday. Started off the show with John Coltrane that day, November 22nd, 1962, an excerpt from Every Time We Say Goodbye. And then we had Wayne Pete's Doppler Funk with Message at the Tone. And because of those uh, Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention, we got Stuart Liebig. Welcome aboard, Stuart. Thanks. Howdy. How are you? I want to give uh, respect and credit for the connect to Mr. Joe Berardi. Yeah, your buddy, right? And we played when he was on the show last. He uh, brought some tunes that you both had made a live record. Oh, right on. And so Uh that was the impetus. But I know of you from Nels Klein and... uh, Block, we'll get into that. But I also got to share the stage with you at a Chris Schlarb event by USC, a tiny little theater, where he would turn on light bulbs when it was each of us's (laughs) turn. It was a great way to conduct a fucking spontaneous thing like that. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. You know, I was thinking that we have a lot of um, mutual friends: Chris, Nels, Mike Vegeta, you know, Joe, and uh, we've talked really briefly before, but this will be the most we've ever talked. Okay. Well, let's, I don't want to talk because I want you to tell us about your journey in music. So please bring your earliest musical recollection. My earliest musical recollection uh, as a player or just hearing something? No. Some people tell me about musical recollections that go back when they're still inside their mom. Oh, yeah. Well, it mine is with my mom, but... Uh, uh, she was a like a semi-pro singer who did uh, Renaissance music and and did some like Stravinsky premieres and stuff like that in L.A. So some of my earliest things are her actually singing with groups when I'm playing. They're like singing Palestrina masses that I'm playing with my war toys, you know, okay. that kind of thing. And the pad you grew up in, well, she used, obviously her instrument was her voice, but was there musical instruments in the pad you grew up? Um, not really. She had her grandmother's piano. Um which I have now because my mom passed. Uh, but, you know, my dad was kind of virulently anti-music um, because they broke up and all that crap. Um, so not really. I just kind of got the bug when I was about 13 or 14, you know. So you never mm-hmm. jumped on that piano when you Yeah, were... not really. It was, it's, the okay. piano kind of scared me. Let me ask you about <laughs> school. Were you in the choir or the marching band or shit like that? No, I never I never was. I... I um, you know, I, the the things that got me into bass were Paul McCartney uh, and John Paul Jones, and then uh, music teacher played like this Bach thing, this Bach little Stephen G minor. When the bass came in, it was so powerful. I'm going like, oh hell yeah! So that was sort of those were the things that got me into being a bass okay, player. Okay, so you weren't in the band or the choir. I no. asked that because some schools got rid of their arts programs. Let me ask you this: What was the first record you bought with your own money? Oh, geez. Uh, oh, good question. Um, you know, I, I think it was either uh, Revolver or Band of Gypsies. I don't really remember. I did buy a bunch of records from a friend of mine's sister, like early Beatles records. So uh, uh, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to know. Probably, probably like the some early Beatles stuff that I, like I said, I bought from a friend's older sister. 
I asked like, that when you're store was probably asked, like I had my mom pick up revolver on the way home, you know, and it was like it's in stereo. No, it's supposed to be in mono, mom. I was all ticked off. I asked that question because when you're a kid, you ain't got a lot of money. So I'm curious right. to what you would spend it on. What was the first gig you saw? The first gig I saw. Wow. Um, well, you know, my mom, uh, my mom was young when she had me. So in like 1966, she was 33. So she's pretty young. Um, so the first thing I really remember was seeing Iron Butterfly at the Hollywood Bowl. And it might have been like Peter, Paul and Mary and Lee Michaels or something. It was like one of those weird 70s, um, you know, uh, or late 60s kind of gigs where they had a bunch of strange people on them. Remember, it's Swap from Pedro show, so there's no hard questions, there's no wrong answers. <laughs> Good so to know. you said something about the bass. What was the first time you knew what a bass was? Oh, why well, did you choose it? Um, well, like I said, it was sort of like, you know, hearing McCartney and kind of like hearing that in my head, and then this thing with hearing this Bach thing, it was just, you know, the, the bass voice came in, it was like, God speaking. So that was kind of it, really, for me. You know, my stepfather, I think, played some Mingus stuff, but I didn't really key into that because, you know, I was into cartoons and stuff. So, How did you know it was the bass, though? Fuck if I know. <laughs> no, no, I'm asking you this because of my... I'm, I'm asking you this because of my personal experience because, I, you know, my first gig was me and D Boone saw T-Rex and everybody was so little and you're so far away. I couldn't, it looked like a guitar. Right on. I think it's, and the sound I, was so bad because, you know, arena rock show, right? I couldn't. Right. Really, so that's why I'm, I'm asking. It's almost like a personal bass player to bass player question. Right. Cause I didn't right. know for a long time. I thought they were just guitars with skin, skin in your necks. You I had no, no idea that bass right. meant lower even, but right. get this. As time has gone on, yeah. I realized not really four-string guitar, four-string drum set. Right on. Or or a combination of four-string uh, guitar and four-string drum set and four-string upright bass is how I looked at it for a long time. You know, um, I, I think it was really just I saw pictures of the Beatles and I saw McCartney, you know, and I kind of I kind of just heard you know, like Carol Kay and those people burbling away. And I kind of dug the motion and, and all that stuff. So I, I think I was attracted to um, those things that I don't know exactly how I knew what it was, but that's why I, I gravitated towards it. Yeah. Okay. And, and so when did you get your first bass? Uh, <laughs> I, August 1st, 1970. And did you pick it or was it given to I you? I consider that my real birthday sometimes. Did you pick it or was it given to you? No, um, I got some money for like my birthday or something. And maybe I borrowed some money from my mom. And we went to West L.A. Music in West L.A. And, um, you know, there was a, a, a Kent bass amp and a uh, Aria violin bass. And so that's what I ended up getting. Okay, so you did pick it. But it was with money you got for like present. birthday or something yeah, like that. I forget, present. you know, I, it okay. wasn't a paper route or anything like that. It, you know, that would have been much hipper than how. It no, went. you repurposed a gift. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like. Okay. So yeah. let me ask you this. Uh, well, you did. 
previously say something about a teacher. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm, I'm going to assume, which is a very fucking dangerous word, my pop taught me. <laughs> Said that was not spelled that way. Accidentally, yes. he thought it was like an incredible eureka moment. But yeah. but anyway, you weren't autodidact. You went to to, to find lessons. Um. It, well, the, the, te- yeah, the, the music teacher at school was a whole different thing. I, I uh, fell in with somebody who I'm still friends with, and I went, like, he was in that band block with Nelson me. And, you know, I've been in bands and, since we were 14 together. And, I, you know, and he's pretty good. So I fell in with some good guys. Uh, and, um, you know, you kind of push each other, you know, and, and pull each other along kind of thing. Um, and so that was kind of the first of it. And then I started taking lessons from a guy up at a local music store. And then I, it was mostly just being self-taught. You know, I kind of like, I had a couple of people give me pointers, you know, older guys at a school I was at, but for the most part, it was sort of like a lot of autodidact stuff. I, I did learn theory. So that helped me figure things out, you know, um, tried a couple teachers, but, uh, it was, I ended up taking like, um, classical music in college after a while. And, um, those, you know, the, the third teacher I had there was probably the best music teacher I ever had in terms of an instrumental thing. Okay. Speaking of block, you gave me this block tune. Let's listen. Okay.
from Pedro Show. That chunk of music start off with Block doing In the Free Zone. Then we had brand new from Petra Hermanova, Marrow Embers. Ava Mendoza, she's got a new record with Devin Hoff. It's Mendoza Hoff Revels, and this is Diablada. Hellmore Flames from Fairbanks, Alaska. Penance. Fisarium, snake made of man. Thresher with Adirondack Blues. Tomorrow Comes the Harvest. That's the name of the band. Rising Water, The Reprise. MSSV with Pity Parody, speaking of Mike Baguetta. That's his band. Yep. And Quarteto Stig with Generator. So, part of that playing with that teacher at school and being in their bands. What about after school, not graduate, but afternoon, the bedroom band, the basement band, the garage band. I think you kind of alluded to that with uh, friends. You said like Nels and, and playing. Yeah. Well, um, I met Nels in college. So, uh, you know, the, the afternoon uh, thing at, at, at high school was, I had a, you know, we had a quintet and we played like, you know, Almond Brothers and all that stuff. We played some parties and, you know, we thought we were good, you know, um, played Santana stuff. And, you know, basically, you know, we started off playing blues and then it became rock and then jazz and um, like that. And then, like I said, I met Nels at a San Monica City College. I actually met him and Michael Preussner the same day because we were all in the... Um, the the uh, big band or whatever it was, though none of us could read very well, so it was sort of a joke that we were in that. But that I, so that was like 1975 or something like that. And uh, okay, so yeah, this is way beyond that thing. Uh, yeah, but but still, you guys are playing together. You ain't composing yet. You're copying songs. That's yeah, for like. the most part. Um, you know, uh, one of the guys that I played with was was pretty into. He was a pianist, and he's into writing some funny tunes. We were mostly doing instrumental stuff. You know, particularly after we got the fusion book. Um, you know, uh, and so we were kind of writing some stuff, but not like, you know, uh, consistently like with a work ethic. You know. Well, tell me about Block. How'd that happen? Well. Um, Block happened because um, I went. I was on the road for a couple of years uh, in the in my early twenties, and then I decided I didn't like being on the road, so I wanted to go back to school. So I went to Northridge, and uh, I studied orchestra bass. And you know, meanwhile, I'm playing like jazz and rock and top forty gigs and all that stuff, trying to make a living playing. And um, so I at, when I graduated, I'm going like, well, I can either like try to get a master's and, and be a not great, um, you know, upright player in, in an orchestra, like eighth chair and play other people's music or I can form a rock band. So um, I had met this guy named Chris Mancinelli, who's a drummer. He was a friend of mine, a friend of a friend of mine's and they were rooming together in Boston. I met him when I was on the road there and um and I said, hey, man, I have this idea for this band. And the original idea of the band was sort of like combining 
cameo in Van Halen, you know, for the shorthand of it. Um, and we ended up doing, uh, we, we, we sort of talked to a bunch of different guitar players who we knew. And I had, like I said, I had known Nels uh, for a number of years and I was in Rhino Records one day and, you know, we're there chit-chatting about stuff and he goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, you know, thinking about this idea. We're looking at trying to start a band that's, and I gave him the spiel about the kind of deal. He goes, oh, that sounds interesting. So he came down, we rehearsed like a couple ideas and, you know, Nels is, you know, really fucking good. So he just, he just came up with some amazing parts and that was sort of like, yay. And then uh, Chris says, well, how about Nick? Who's this guy I've known since I was 13. And I said, well, you know, we just broke up in a band, blah, blah, blah. And he said, let's try it. And so like that happened and that was like really the shit. And then I had known the singer from another high school guy and Nick had known her and, and actually they had been a couple for a while. And he goes, well, let's try her. So, and it worked out great. So that's how the band came together. But basically it was my idea. I had this cockamamie idea of um, trying to do, uh, you know, kind of a funk and rock thing. And, you know, that was early days of hip hop. So we were, you know, some of us had drum machine and we're fucking around with those. And, you know, so, so there was, you know, and we were into the minimalist thing, so we were trying to do these sort of interesting grooves that, that interlocked. And what was Ark of the Band? You guys ended up making an album that never came out? or Well, we, um, we, we met uh, a, a producer, and, you know, he wanted to produce us on spec, and then, you know, we'd owe him money, blah, 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 blah. So we had tried a couple of uh, indie things that, that – didn't seem so interested and there was sort of a little bit of a discussion about whether we should just press our own record and, and start going up and down the coast or what have you. And then it, most people, I sort of set the band up as a democracy. So we ended up going with this guy and we did a, like two albums worth of, of um, master quality recordings. And the record company decided which ones they like, because that's what record companies do. And, um, they did put out like that, that song in the free zone was, was the title track, I guess, of, um, of our album. And it came out on A&M and then they decided that we weren't, you know, going to be commercial, which was not like a serious news flash, you know, but this is also right when Nirvana and, um, Soundgarden and all that hit and Soundgarden was at A&M and we had the same A&R guy. And I think they decided that Soundgarden was a much more lucrative venue, uh, you know, avenue than, than what we were to do. So basically they said, do more commercial stuff. And at this point, Nelson, Chris and I were not into doing more commercial stuff. And so, um, we pulled the plug. Did you guys tour? You know, we didn't. And that's one of the things that we, we screwed up and, and, um, I don't want to get into all the, the ins and outs of that. Um, some of us had toured fairly extensively. Like I said, I was on the, I was on the road from the age of 20 to 23. I was on the road 10 months out of the year. Um, and so some of us knew what that was like and some of us didn't really. And, um, we didn't. And, and that's one of our, our biggest fuck ups is that we didn't tour. And how was the material was it like you said you set up the band like a democracy did you compose that way well um you know some so, particularly early on what happened was like i came up with an 
I literally came up with an idea for baseline walking from a place I was working down to the corner diner, you know, and I had this idea of playing like instead of playing, uh, well, you're, you know, the bass playing thing. Like, so like you, you hit the low note with your thumb and you hit, you pluck the high note and you pop it. Right. So I decided, well, if everybody does that. I'll try to do that backwards. So that became a tune. So we, I'd come up with these kind of groove ideas and work them over and then I'd pull them in and people would go like, Oh yay Or no, that stinks. And then we'd play that shit and the drummer did some stuff like that. And then sometimes we just, you know, we were rehearsing in a warehouse where I worked and we just kind of like jammed and then ideas came out of that. So it was very, um, very much sort of like a band organic sort of, even, even if somebody like myself or somebody else planted a seed in it, the idea was that it was, an organic um, uh, um, growth out of an idea for the band, as opposed to like me going like everybody plays this or somebody else saying everybody plays this or somebody coming up with a demo and bringing it in. Yeah, no, not none of that, none of that really. When was the last block gig? <laughs> the, our last block gig was in a was a um, was an acoustic gig at Rhino Records. Was Nels so working I, there at the time? Uh, I can't remember if he was working there, if he was working our, at Arcana, he might've been working there, but you know, it's like he had deep ties there, you know, like a lot of people, you know, he knew were still there. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly how, uh, how that happened. Cause you know, we're talking like 32 years ago. So some yeah. of my, some of my memories on this are not great. <laughs> and, uh, did everybody know it was the last gig? Um, I think three of us knew. I think it was it was getting pretty close. You know, I, I just I, I. You know, we had a meeting at our managers, you know, and I just said, hey, look, you know, I'm done with this. You guys should get a new bass player and I'll show them my parts. Even though you started the band. Yes, sir. I, yeah. I did. I did a similar kind of thing in, in a way. Isn't that trippy? The cat who starts a band wants to fucking jump ship. Well, you know, at a certain point, you just you. No, I can kind of relate in a way, even if it's your baby. It's not. It's but not. But you don't want to hurt your buddy, so they keep going without me. Okay, I, I got to uh, pull the plug on us right here because we're at the end of the first hour, of the August 18, twenty twenty three wow. edition of the Watt for Pedro Show special guest Stuart Liebig. Hold tight for hour two. August 18, twenty twenty three. It's the second hour of Watt for. Pedro Show.
Resplendent, naked in the wind, reflecting the reflection of the crescent moon, your marbled skin glowed alabaster in the shadows of a dream. In peace. Amen. As evening fell and you grew colder, I, emboldened by desire, solitude, and louder, the lateness of the hour, sought to warm with trembling hands your chiseled form and planted dizzy kisses as I shivered in the flowers. A silver drop of rain and then another fell among the trees. A thundercloud eclipsed the moon in silence, carried on a breeze from heaven as I listened to the rumbling and on my knees embraced your granite pedestal and whispered up to God my pleas.
The troubled sky was ripped by lightning. Thunder frightened roosting birds and howling filled the twisted forest, drowning out my cries. When suddenly your sightless eyes grew bright and gazed upon my own tear filled with hope and mortal fear. Alive! beside you, and I dreamed of flying high above the ocean and the desert sand. Beyond the pull of gravity I traveled when I felt your hand upon me, gently waken me to join you in the afterland. I'm a slave 
Watch yeah. for Pedro show. Started off the second hour with Quartetto Sting. We'll get into that because we did one last year, last hour. <laughs> Chester's book of pry bars. Then Doug Wimbish, credible bassman out of Connecticut, oh, veneered. Bob, you know, Sugar Hill Gang, uh, Mark Stewart Mafia. I think he's helping the Living Color yep. cats these days. Bob Lord after that, another bass man of New England, also a composer. Uh, USS Nimitz Tic Tac Encounter 2004. Deerhoof. They repressed the album Chatterboxes. That's the tune. Bombas Prendon, Laudanum. The moment that I saw you in parentheses. Raz O'Hara and Lee Kwon Wong with Where To. Finally, Libby, Golia, Mitz, Trioism. Right on. Two. I got to do, uh, well, it was Henry Kaiser with Wayne Pete. Yeah. Uh, got persuade me to shame myself and uh, <laughs> trying to play John Coltrane's music, which I love. They're, they're beautiful cats. Also, John Hanneran on the drums. Right, drums, yeah. Uh, I saw that gig at uh, the Caves. I think that's what John does. He, he gets with cats, interprets Mr. Coltrane's music. Right on. Beautiful man. He told he told me it helped him stop drinking, too. Beautiful. There you go. Now, now, now hip us to Quarteto State. Okay, so... Um, after Block, I just said, well, you know, God, the whole, you know, quote unquote music industry, the record industry is just horrible and Racket. it has nothing to do with music. So, I, I just think said, Elvis and Presley, I, you know, I've been doing all these improv gigs anyway, like Nelson. I think Elvis Alice Presley. And I had toured with Julius Hampel a couple of times. I'm, I'm trying to tell you, once I saw Elvis Presley do with him Louisiana Hill rides and he goes, Racket. He says, I wish it was a business. And the dude gets really pissed off and asks him if he's <laughs> smoking marijuana or something. Because he yeah, fucking, yeah. yeah, right? He looked into the camera, the fourth wall thing. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It, so basically, I just figured I'm not going to um, I'm not gonna uh, worry about playing commercial music anymore. Uh, I'd already been, I'd been trying to like write classical music and all this other stuff. And improv and quartetistic was... I actually had a tour with a, I toured with a guy named Michael Penn, and I thought I was going to make a bunch of money with him, um, and I didn't. But, so I pared back my idea, started playing with Jeff and um, John Fumo and Jeff McCutcheon, and I had a couple ideas, and then I really liked the sound of the band, so I made that a band. Uh, so it's, it's almost sort of a, a reaction to everything that was going on at that point. Um, and... Uh, Unfortunately, Jeff McCutcheon died not long after that album was recorded. And then we, um, Sorry. we, uh, uh, Dan Morris, uh, was recommended by Alex Klein to be the, um, the second drummer. So the first tune you played is Jeff McCutcheon and the second one is, um, is Dan Morris and Alex Klein, a great drummer himself. Hell yes. I, I owe a lot to Alex. He's, he's, um, besides just being like a great person to play with and you really have to keep up with, he's gotten me a bunch of really interesting gigs and recommended me for stuff. So I, oh, both he and Nels actually a lot. And, uh, this trio thing here, Liebig, Golia, Mintz. Yeah, that was me. Um, I played with 
Vinny and Billy uh, with a, this guy named Steve Lockwood, and I really like playing with them. And also, they scared the shit out of me because they're so good. Uh, so I really had to bring above my A game. You know what I mean? Uh, and I just got this idea to record some stuff. I wrote some really loose tunes, and I sent it off to this company called Cadence Jazz Records out in New York, and they put that one out, and then I recorded another one, and they put that one out. Um, so I was really fortunate, you know, and, um, you know, Vinny, as you know, is, is a, a great player and a great guy. Yeah, and, beautiful man. Yeah, and, you know, he's... Uh, I'd say I, I wouldn't call him literally a mentor, but I watch him really closely and I and I have to, like, like I said, bring my A game. So he's sort of an arm's length mentor, if that makes sense, you know, because um, I don't go, oh, Vinny, what did you do? I just kind of like watch him and like go like, oh, shit, he's playing that. I better like figure out how to match that, you know. Now, so uh, I'm going to make a guess here, but I think this might be related a little to the Quartetto Stig because it's got Stig. In the name, Stigette. Let's listen. <laughs> well, so.
Live from Pedro Show. Started that chunk of music out. Out? Off? Yeah, off. Stigette. Stigetta. With Hector. And then Fence Post. Preparation 74. Uh, Diner Roman numeral 2. Then FOD with After We Set You on Fire. The Born Shit Stirs with Religious Fanatic. Ray Shin. Make Your Way to the Exits. And finally, Splinter Group with Eggshell Necklace. Okay, enlighten us to the, the Stig. Quartetto Stig okay, slash so Stig Getta Connect. I had I had a um, I had a girlfriend who called me Stube, which is a contraction of my name, and so I put I used I actually use that professionally for a while, and I use that for like like a different couple of different online things, and uh, so I'm over at Wayne's for a rehearsal with Nelson him, and his his roommate looks at me and he goes oh Stig, so that be, people call me Stig. I have friends who don't call me Stuart. They just call me Stig, and I have other friends who call me Stubig. So anyway, that's where Stig is a further contraction of Stubig. You know, you you had a project called Stink Bug, huh? Yeah, that is was, that related? Because you didn't no. send me any of that music, but uh, is that related to the Stig thing? No, it's not. Okay, it's, that that was. Um, See how dangerous assuming is. <laughs> yeah, it, it I just is. Just made um, that ass out of you and me. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I can I can make an ass out of myself very well, thank you. So you don't need to help me. No, um, my pop is vindicated. <laughs> um, yeah, Stink Bug was, um, uh, you know, Nelson GE became very tight, and Nelson's wanted to play Scott, and Nelson uh, and Alex. Uh, Alex, what am I saying? GE and I had become very good friends because um, I played in a band with him and Alex and John Fumo back in the early 90s. And so we just started like getting this idea of like some real throwdown. And um, then it turned out there was a band called Stink Bug that was probably kind of like a Texas country metal or something. I don't really know. But so we ended up calling it L Stink Bug. Um, but uh, I think. Nelson GE came up with that name driving up to the Bay Area one day. And in the the proj, okay, it didn't last long, right? Well, uh, we actually we did one record, but we did a number of gigs. I actually have four discs of outtakes from that from the gig that uh, made the album come out. Um, but we did, but you know, Nels got super busy. I think he was out with uh, a guy named Mike Watts a lot. Was that you? It might have been Geraldine Fibbers because he he only did the fourth tour of the first opera with me. I see. I but see. But there was during the wrestling record, he did two tours. But I yeah. only did. I only actually did three tours with him. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, I you know, all I know is that he got super busy and. Um, well, yeah, you're he, right. You're right. Too busy for what? Us. What about Splinter Group? Um, well, you know, um, actually, so there's a, there's a Berardi connection in here cause he and GE and Karu and I had a band called unique cheerful events. And, um, there was an improv gig, uh, band. Um, and then GE and I wanted to get way more into like groove stuff. So splinter group is sort of really GE's baby. And what it is, is, is he, um, 
did like drum machine grooves and put them on beat plates. And then uh, this guy, DJ Chowderhead, um, who was up out in Orange County, would would do that plus like, you know, records and spinning shit and, you know, it's turntable stuff. And we would just like improv on that. So what that track I gave you is one of the shorter ones. And it's um, we actually kind of bootlegged that at Knitting Factory because they didn't want you to record stuff. But Wayne was recording and we just told him he was running sound for us. <laughs> Man, that was a lame pad to play. The, the one in West Hollywood, right? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Sterile, was... sterile cuckoo. Look, we're at yeah. the end of the second hour, August 18, 2023 edition. Why Pedro Show special guest Stuart Liebig. Hold tight for hour three. August 18, 2023, it's the third hour of the Watch for Pedro show.
regret today. Listening to low ends of change. But it doesn't seem to matter anyway.
Lot from Pedro Show. Start off the third hour. It's deja vu all over again, people. Mentones, Howlin' Tumble, Tim Holhouse, even Acoustic Witch Egg, Baphomet, R04 slash K House slash Explain with Sheedin. Finally, Tree Tot Quartet, Stutter Step. Go, Stuart, with Explaining and Enlightening. Mentones and Tito okay. Quartet. So the Mentones is, like I said, I was really into the uh, blues singing as a kid. And then I was, uh, I sort of started really doing some heavy listening of John Lee Hooker and Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf and all that stuff. And also is about the time I got like that Ornette Cohen box set. And I was going, why are people so pissed off about this Ornette stuff? It just sounds like the blues to me. So that was sort of like my light bulb moment. It's like, what happens if I have a thing that sounds like Little Walter meets um, Ornette Coleman? So can I t- interject just a second? I, you know, I've got done with like the last two years, 10 John Coltrane bios. And then this one, McCoy Tyner's talking about them sharing a bill in Houston, uh-huh. his hometown, with Lightning Hopkins. And Whoa. John Coltrane... He talks about watching him looking at lightning. Now here he's been doing his kind of blues, right? And the jazz scene right all but he has never seen this. And he really? was just entranced. Yeah, McCoy said he tripped hard on fucking lightning. He just had never and he thinks it kinda informed the last parts of his playing at the end. Just being on the sharing the stage with a cat like that. I can dig that because there's a whole depth of, of uh feeling and, and nuance and uh, technique that people don't always think about as being technique that creates a really deep, you know, musical experience. So, yeah, I could see where that would be changing. For him. And also, you know, notice he goes away from piano and bass, just playing with uh, uh, Rashid, you know, no chord changes. Uh, yeah. So maybe that had, you know, because blues is kind of just staying in the one thing. I, mean, I read this thing about Dusty Hill, a bass brother of ours. We right on. Lost just a little while ago. And he he played with Lightning when he moved from oh. Dallas to Houston, right? He had a band with his brother, and then he was playing uh-huh. with Lightning. And he's like, Lightning, you know, what's the structure? You know, when you go, and he said, Lightning said, Lightning changes when Lightning wants to change. For sure. Well, but you know, that's the thing about like hearing John Lee Hooker. For me, it's all about the solo stuff because when he starts playing with the band, it just feels like it locks him down. But like if he's just playing, or maybe him and another guitar player or something, but then he's, he's just ready to, he can just flow, you know, and, um, Anyway, so the Mentones was was based on that. Do you know Tony Atherton? You, I, Sax I, man I think, for Bazooka. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I had seen Bazooka played at the Alligator, and I was like, well, damn, I'll talk to Tony. And I said, hey, Tony, I'm looking for a chromatic harmonica player. He goes, yeah, Bill Barrett. And so, you know, I'm, I'm also talking to Wayne Pete one day. I said, hey, man, I'm looking for a chromatic harmonica player. Bill Barrett. Okay. I guess it's Bill Barrett I got to look up. And then Bill came over to my place and we played. It was like, oh, hell yeah, this guy's nuts, right? So, um, because I'm not sure anybody else could play this shit on chromatic harmonica that I wrote. Uh, You know, so he and Tony have a great um, rapport. Do you remember the harmonica cats? They had a guy who had a giant fucking chromatic. (laughs) Oh, really? No, I don't don't remember them. but, you know, I'll tell you something about Bill is like I lent him uh, the Anthony Braxton solo 
alto saxophone record. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm going to figure out how to do all that shit on chromatic harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then, you know, Joe and I have known each other for years and I said, Hey man, I'm doing this. What do you think? And he checked it out and was like, yeah. And you know, he and I have Joe and I have a pretty crazy, um, rapport, you know, we, we figured out how to play together where we're sort of going in and out of stuff. And we sound like the car that's going around the, the side of the hill and spewing gravel off the side. And we're not going over the cliff, but we might kind of thing. So, um, that works pretty good for this band and for us in general. Um, so that's a mentone. So I did three records with them. And in the middle of that, uh, I had an idea where I wanted to do something a little bit more sort of country, but also make it, uh, some of the, like that tune stutter step has sort of like a, in my view, kind of an Anthony Braxton thing. And I wanted to have more counterpoint than groove with head over it. So, um, I had known Scott Ray from being a trombone player, he played on one of my records and he, he helped me wood, uh, workshop a bunch of stuff, but he ended up playing Dobro and then lap steel and then, um, pedal steel. And then Dan Klukas I'd known and he's playing cornet and he has kind of a dirty sound. So I thought that would be hip. So T talk quartet is sort of an offshoot of the Mentones thing. And it's based on the idea that Hank Williams, uh, is sort of, uh, mentor uh, was a guy named T. Todd, who was an African American uh, folk musician on the streets of whatever town it was. I forget. So it's sort of also my um, uh, acknowledgement that uh, a lot of white American music, or maybe just American music, period, owes a lot to um, African Americans. There's a great book Nick Tosh has wrote called "The Twisted Roots of Country Music." Oh, right on. And then, are you aware of a place in New Orleans called Congo Square? Um, I was there in the 70s, but haven't been there since. No, but it goes way back as a meeting point right where people mixed, yeah, with the musics and stuff. Yeah. I want to play this other, seems like a spinoff because of the name, Men Tot Six.
Bob from Pedro Show, last music for this edition. Start up Men Tot Six, Troubled by the Toe, Rubber O Cement with the Sentinel Rat Tail Broadcast, Noisuka, Endless Jazz Ass Jam. And this from only a month ago, Stuart Liebig, 31 July 2023 04. Oh, yeah, this. <laughs> I forgot about this. It's recent, month. Yeah, um, Less. I, yeah, that's true. I decided to do a solo gig with no effects pedals or anything. Um, a little bit of uh, maybe biting off more than I could chew. Um, you know, like thinking about guys like Braxton or Evan Parker or Vinny, you know, doing solo gigs and like, how do I do that on electric bass? Can I do it on electric bass? I'll try it. It seemed like a good idea until about three weeks before I had to do the gig. And I'm going like, what the fuck am I doing? Um I don't think I embarrass myself too much, but it's not, uh, it's, it's mostly for a documentary kind of a deal. Does that make sense? The guest holds sway on the Watt from Pedro show. Thank God. <laughs> now what's next? What's the plan stage of your mind concerning music? Well, um, you know, the pandemic kind of like, like for like all of us, uh, short circuited a lot of stuff. One of the things that I had, I had already written the full Mentot six second album. Um, so I'm going to try to get that going again. I had a band called uh, Minim, which I didn't put any of this stuff in, but, um, I'm going to do a third. I've written about two thirds of that record that I wanted to do. And, uh, but you know, it's like, it's Scott Ray's sister, Vicky's, amazing pianist and Maggie Parkins uh, on cello and Brianna Gilcher on um, oboe. And it's sort of, it's sort of, I guess it's sort of a little bit like the stick Tet stuff and where it's, it's more um, sort of pseudo classical composition rather than the mentons and that whole thing, which is sort of more based in, you know, American vernacular music or whatever you want to call it. You know, uh, no, as time no, has gone no, on with me, Stuart, no, man, when, when, as time has gone on with me, music is more about just being music, and I'm getting really tired of genre names and shit. It just it seems like a gulag. Are you doing any more playing with Joe Berardi? Um, nothing planned at this moment. Uh, well, except for, you know, if we do the Mentot 6 thing, he's going to be all over that. Okay. And where, can people, and where can people find you on the internet if they're curious about your music? Oh, Christ. Um, yeah, that's a good question because uh, I used to have a website, but I just let it go. Um, you know, the, the, the other part of my thing is that I've done a shitload of electronica music with modular synths and all this other stuff. So that's what my Bandcamp page is mostly about. Um, there is some stuff like with Joe and me and, and Vinny and me and some other people. Um, and GE, that band Unique Cheerful Events, is on there. But it's, you know, um, I, my Bandcamp thing, which is 60 or whatever records or whatever you want, digi releases. So um, I just kind of went for the bass playing stuff on this. I got to end the show because we ran oh, out of time. Okay. People, it's the August 18, 2023 edition of Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>